Good afternoon, everyone, and um, welcome to our show. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Um, my name is Anthony Citrolo, and I am the founder of the NYBB Group and the Exit Strategy Lab. And um, I'm thrilled to have a good friend of mine, Lori Cartman, who's going to be speaking with us, and we'll have a conversation about business and expansion. And um, remember, I, I just wanted to just give an overview of what we're trying to accomplish here. Uh, we work really with business owners. A lot of them are family-owned businesses, privately held companies, on exit and succession strategies, including an ability to kind of grow their business. And, and there's a lot of different paths to doing that. Um, the, the podcast is known as Firm Grasp or Firm Grasp on an Empty Bag, and it's dedicated to helping those owners, most family-owned, maximize, realize what a lot of times is their largest asset, their business. Oftentimes, 80% uh, of their wealth is typically trapped in the actual business. Uh, many families want to turn that, that asset into cash. They want to realize the benefits of their years of hard work. And along the way, they want to grow that business. They want to see how they can kind of evolve into something that really becomes a real uh, a wealth factor for them. And that's part of uh, what we do and, and really why uh, I'm excited to have um, my good friend and, and, and longtime associate, Lori Cartman, with me. Um, because remember, your exit strategy today is more important and the ability to grow your business is important today. Lori is a um, an expert in um, especially the franchise industry, but she is an attorney and um, she um, is the founder of Lori Cartman and Company. And uh, they, she's been around in the business for at least 30 years. Right, Lori? And uh, has tremendous industry experience. I mean, advising business owners in the franchising world, but really more as a, a personal executive coach. She knows what makes people tick. She works with her clients to determine what their personal goals are, which are just as important, if not more important than their financial and their business goals. But looking how to put those goals into action to create a great outcome for them. She's worked in the area of strategic development and business growth probably for the last 30 or plus years. Um, the one thing I really appreciate about Lori is we, and I think we have the same mindset. We have the same focus. We look at the business owner. We realize what their assets are. We realize what they're trying to achieve. And our goal is to help them. So I wanted to welcome Lori. Lori, welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here. And I know uh, we know each other a while now. Yeah, I'm always happy to be here and chat with you. Thank you. So maybe what you could do, Lori, is just tell us a little about your start in, in kind of the world, in the, in the franchising world, in the business world. Give us a little background. It's a pretty interesting story, I know. Sure. I actually started my career as a lawyer. So I spent seven years doing uh, mergers, acquisitions, and succession planning. And then I got offered an in-house counsel job with a company that was this multi-million dollar company that had holdings in the franchise industry. Mm -hmm. So I worked with them for about 10 years and really learned the ins and outs of franchising from being a franchisor, being a franchisee, the marketing, the operations, uh, the sales and everything that goes with it. Uh -huh. And then I took that. And I left that business and I co-founded a chain of restaurants that with a partner and we subsequently franchised those. And then five years after we actually sold the business. So at that time I was in my early forties and I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do with my life now that I'm grown up? Right. And I said, well, wait a minute, what's my skill set? So 
I knew franchising and in franchising, I mean, I'd been practicing franchise law for 20 years at that point. Um, plus I'd had franchise operations and marketing and sales. So I decided to open up a full service firm that services the franchise industry or businesses that want to franchise their business. Mm -hmm. And we do everything under one roof. So we're completely full service. We do the brand building, the strategic planning, the marketing operations, mm -hmm. HR and franchise recruitment. So that sort of led me to what I do now. And that's great because, you know, uh, as you know, I've owned franchises as well, but I've never franchised yeah. a business as as an as an M&A person myself. We often have folks come to us and they go, I believe my business is a great franchisable concept. Yeah. And I think you probably heard that from a lot of folks. And, yeah. so what you know, I, I, and a lot of times I think, you know, they're a little bit maybe they're, they're misled or sometimes they're a little delusional, I think. But uh, what I mean. makes. What makes somebody's business franchisable? It's very interesting. You know, franchising itself and the decision to expand your business using franchising is a pure financing decision. It's a way to build your business using other people's money. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine, so if you're a business, you say to yourself, well, I want to have 10 locations. They're $100,000 each. I go to the bank. I could borrow a million bucks, put up the 10 locations. But then I'm responsible for the operations of 10 locations and all the staff and all the problems that come with that. Plus, I've got a million dollars of bank debt plus interest. Instead, what businesses do is they find individual investors who have the skill set or who would be interested in running their operation in whatever their hometown is. Um, and they train them. So you're finding 10 people with $100,000. You have no debt. You're not, you know, you don't have a payroll. You're not managing all those employees. So that's why businesses franchise in the first place, because it's very financially prudent to do it that way. Lori, what type of people and what type of organizations are they looking for? Because in the past, I know a lot of franchises would just take the individual entrepreneur who would buy a unit here and buy a unit there. You know, I own some ice cream franchises. I own three of them and I sure. bought them individually. But I, now I see there's a lot of multi-unit owners. I mean, it just what's the mindset now? Because it's a fairly, you know, it's it's probably a, it's a big undertaking in order to kind of operate the business correctly. Yes, yes. What we're seeing a lot of now, um, believe it or not, um, as a result of COVID, is we're seeing a lot of investors who want to buy multi-units. They don't want to just buy one. Um, you know, the individual investor who um, has been laid off or packaged out, they only have the funds for one location. But franchisors really like to find people that have the bandwidth in terms of finances and the skill set to be able to have multiple locations. Yeah, I know because there's a, a famous uh, a coffee franchise here that uh, I, I think uh, requires that uh, somebody buys five puts five locations up. So they have yeah. one as a production store. And, and I, I said, you know, it takes, and not to, to diminish the, the, the ability of a solo franchise owner, but it takes uh, a, a different acumen and a different level of skills to actually operate multiple units. 
Yeah. Also have maybe a manufacturing facility. And, and, and of course, you know, if you're going to, someone's going to own a, one of the larger franchises, the multi-million dollar franchise, because I think some people think of franchising, they think of kind of the local store, but a lot of the franchises are, are very, very large businesses. When you look yes. at the McDonald's and the Burger Kings and, and, and the Chick-fil-A's and those kind of folks, uh, what are typical fees then that people pay, you know, to the, what does the franchisee pay? to the franchisor and, and how does the franchisor actually really uh, uh, benefit and make his, his or her money? Okay. It's a very interesting concept. The, when you look at a franchise listing, you're going to see several numbers. So the first number that you see is called the initial investment. That's usually somewhere between 15 and $60,000. Mm -hmm. That initial franchise fee is the only money that goes directly to the franchisor. And that money um, is to a um, gives the franchisee the right and license to use the name, the system, the branding, the logos, all of that. And two, it reimburses the franchisor for the cost of putting the franchisee into business. So their training and going out and finding the locations and the negotiations and discovery days and all those kinds of things. Then you see the bigger number. The bigger number is the. 150 to 300 or 300 to 500 or whatever the total investment is. That's a turnkey number. So when you buy a franchise and you pay that money, it they basically do everything for you. They'll build it out for you. They'll get the inventory. They train you. They train your staff. And then at the end of the day, they hand you a key to your location. So, so you have to look. And usually the total fee includes the initial franchise fee. Right. Um. In the States, it's really easy to get financing, quite frankly. It's much easier to get financing than it is in Canada, because in Canada, you need to have 50% of the required investment liquid. So mm -hmm. if it's a franchise, it's 250, you need to have 125 liquid. Whereas in the US, if the franchise is 250, you really only need to have 50 liquid. And yeah, that's a lot of SBA financing difference. available in the U.S. for that. Tremendous SBA financing. Yeah. Um, and you have all sorts of things like you can finance using your, you know, your retirement savings. I mean, you've got all sorts of financing vehicles, of, you know, that, that, that really don't exist in Canada. Interesting. Interesting. Because yeah. we, we've done a lot of franchise transactions and even resales. And the resales are uh, are very financeable. Of course, we have good financial statements. Yeah. And the good part about it is they have pretty much of a track record on the franchise. They see what franchises yeah. have more success, what they know, what typically their market bottom line would be. And, um, and, 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 and so they have a good idea of whether there's going to be success or failure. And I think right. uh, obviously the, the buyer there has to have a pretty good, um, pretty good um, you know, uh, credit score as well in order yeah. for them to get well, that. The thing, the, what's different about new locations and resales is that a resale, like you say, it has a rent roll, it has a revenue stream, it has a track record. But often resales, to buy a resale, it's much more expensive than um, putting up a location from scratch because you've got that revenue stream and you have the goodwill. And so it's mm -hmm. much more expensive. But a lot of people prefer to buy an existing unit because they feel they know what they're buying. Yeah. Well, you know, I also think that I, I've talked to lenders and they go, even on a new location, they know that certain franchises, they, they know what, as long as there's a good operator, they know the bottom line, what the profitability should be. 
assuming the location is selected properly, you know, and I'm not just talking about a retail situation. So now going forward, those are the upfront fees. What does a franchisee pay going forward? I know they pay royalties, right? And sometimes they pay other fees. Yeah, they pay somewhere between three and five different fees. So the first fee they pay is the royalty. The royalty is an amount that's paid usually anywhere from from five to 10% of gross sales, usually paid monthly, sometimes weekly. And that represents the franchisor's percentage because you've used their business, their strategies, their marketing materials to gain your income. And so you pay an ongoing royalty fee for the right and license to continue to operate using the brand name and the system. So that's the one fee that they pay. Then they will pay what's called a national advertising fee, which is usually about 2%. The franchisor has an obligation to advertise the franchise and to generate brand awareness for the franchise at a very general level. So they'll do things like if there's enough money, they can do radio, they can do TV, they may do print, but they always do social media. Uh, They'll do Facebook, they'll do LinkedIn. And they also use that money to create local store marketing materials that the franchisees will then use in their local market to get business. So the third fee then is called the local area marketing fee. And again, it's somewhere between 0.5 and 2% of gross sales. That money does not get submitted to the franchisor. It's a financial commitment that each franchisee has that they have to do local store marketing in their trade area. Because the franchisor is responsible for generalized brand awareness, not at the local level. The franchisee is responsible for letting the community in which they operate know that they're there and to do marketing to the local community. That local store advertising fee, is that contractual? They have to agree yes. to that? Yeah, and they have to spend it. Now, you know, every franchise agreement is different. Um, I know that the agreements that I draft says that if you don't spend that amount on marketing, that the franchisor will then spend that amount for you. Um, and they will, you know, they can be able to take that money out of your account mm-hmm. based on royalties. Because, you know, if you're not, nobody's going to know that you're in your local market. Like you put the sign up and it's a McDonald's and everybody knows there's a McDonald's. But not all franchises are, you know, are McDonald's and are as well known, right? So you have to make sure that you're a good corporate citizen, that you're well known in your local community. And that's what that money goes towards. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And the 2% that would be for for, for the corporation, the, the franchisor to yeah. use for not just, you know, local, but really for a more of a national campaign. To yeah, it's to land. generate brand awareness nationally. It has no local significance right. and it's not meant to have local significance, but they do use it to create marketing materials that are local that the franchisees can then use in their local area. Okay. Were there other fees outside of that that they pay? Yeah. You'll often see a tech fee. And that's because now and now more and more franchisors are becoming more tech savvy. They're using, um, you know, proprietary point of sale systems. They're using CRMs. They're using marketing software. And often what they do is they have a major account and then the franchisees each have their individual account and it's managed by the franchisor. And so you pay a tech fee. Um, you know, for use of the all of this proprietary technology. And that's usually like 50 to 150 a month. 
you know, depending like when you, if they have a call center, your fee is going to be higher. Yeah. And I see most of the franchise fees I see now are pre pretty much, um, you know, uh, ACH out of someone's account on either yep. a weekly or uh, biweekly or a monthly basis. So it's not yep. like you get a bill for your royalty and your advertising. It basically comes out of your receipts automatically. Yep. And, you know, what happens is the point of sale system is hooked up at the franchisor level. So what they do every night is they pull the cash system of every single one of the franchisees. It runs a report at midnight and it tells you what every franchisee's sale is. So at the end of the week, they run a weekly report. It tells you what the franchisees, what their sales were. And that's how you know how much to charge royalties. And then two days later, it gets sucked out of their accounts. I find it actually to be a great management tool also because it gives you a report on what you're doing in your business. It'll tell you what you've purchased. It'll tell you basically what your margins are. I mean, yeah. they really help you from a management tool standpoint. And these are yeah. things that are difficult to do on one's own. You know, yeah. Especially in food service. You know, if you see that, you know, a franchisor will know that, you know, you placed an order at one of the supplier for a thousand dollars, you know, and yet you've only got two thousand dollars in sales, whereas that thousand dollars should have generated five thousand. So, you know, either they're stealing from you or there's theft. Yeah, right? that's and that's on. why it's really important for the franchisor. Like the franchisees said, well, I don't want you to have this as my personal financials. No, you don't get it. We need to help you manage that. And that's how they do it. So, you know, who's the profile? I hate to use the word profile of somebody who buys a franchise. Now, we have all different folks who come to us to buy all different kinds of businesses. And I think, um, you know, some folks say, oh, look at a franchise. I have to pay a royalty charge. I have to pay an advertising charge. I have all these fees. Why am I going to buy a franchise? So, you know, the question is, why would someone go in that direction and who is who is there someone who's targeted? Is there a, a typical candidate for somebody who is a would be a good franchisee? They must yes. know who their good candidates are. Absolutely. We call good candidates intrapreneurs. If you are a true entrepreneur, you will never be a good franchisee because you're always going to see things that you want to change and that you want to do and that you want to modify. And you can't do that in a franchise system. So we look for people called entrepreneurs. These are people who have knowledge that they can bring to the table, mm -hmm. but they understand that they operate within this box and that they can't go outside that box. So while they may have great ideas and the franchisor wants to hear all their ideas, they need the approval of the franchisor before they can implement any of those things. Interesting. Interesting. You know, it's, it's, it, do they, do we actually kind of do, do studies on those folks? Are they giving them yes. tests to see if they fit the profile? You'd be surprised. I do. I mean, when I sell franchises, I have an assessment called Colby that I use. And I assess every candidate to make sure that they're a good candidate for being a franchisee. Never mind a good fit for the brand. But are you going to be a good franchisee? So good franchisees come to the table with skills that a franchisor can't teach them. So that's what we look for. Interpersonal skills. Right. You can't teach someone interpersonal skills in a franchise training program. Right. Sales skills. They can't be afraid of the public. You know, they need to feel comfortable speaking to people. We look for management skills. You know, have they done budgeting? What kind of administration work have they done? And then we look for supervisory skills, which is have they managed a staff before? And those are all things that make someone a really good candidate is, you know, that they have experience in those areas. 
Yeah, and um, yeah, it's interesting because I was a franchisee, and um, yeah, I thought it was a pretty decent franchisee. Um, I was more entrepreneurial than intrapreneurial, so right. I think I had some challenges that way. Although I realized that the system actually worked, yeah, and the system actually made us pretty successful, and they gave us the opportunity to be a little bit creative in the system without changing the system. But right. my, you know, my my question to you is what what kind of what a if I'm a franchisor and I have a business that I think I could franchise. You, you've done a lot of this work. You've seen some, you've seen a lot succeed. You probably have seen some fail. Lots what are some of the common mistakes that somebody who's going to franchise their business has made? Have they misinterpreted something? Have they been undercapitalized? Like what, what, cause I'm sure it does take some financing for, for the yeah. fr- franchisor to get started as well. And, yeah. and like what, what, cause I know we have a lot of folks who are entrepreneurial. They have a concept. They go, I think I could franchise it. And we, you know, what's what's some of the advice you'd give in, in terms of where people have kind of fallen on their butt a little bit? First, I look at the concept as a whole and I see where it's been successful and has it been successful in different markets, different locations with different target audience. So you want something that is, you know, like McDonald's, everybody eats hamburgers, doesn't matter where you go, everybody eats hamburgers, right? So you want to have a product that is a, you know, that's a mass market product. Second of all, to be able to franchise your business, you need to be able to distill your entire business into a 200-page operations manual that effectively is a workbook. So you train your franchisees using this manual, and then they use that to go and operate their business. So you need to have um, a concept that allows you to do that um, and that allows you to, um, you know, to to communicate the same offering in a lot of different markets. You also have to have a trademark. So you have to be able to trademark your name Um, and you need to have systems in place. So you need an operation system. You need an administration system. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's certain things that you need to put into place that will make you more successful as a franchisor. And so you have to have some qualified people on your side already in place who you are, in fact, fronting the money for and paying before you really, you know, uh, get in that direction. I, I would assume that people who franchise have maybe run some of con- those concept stores themselves or concept operations. Um, usually usually uh, people yeah. uh, will franchise their business because they're doing really well and they're getting a lot of people who are saying you should open in my neighborhood. That's when people start thinking about franchising their yeah. business. Right. Because there's a cost. So to franchise your business from scratch, assuming you don't have any of your legal, your marketing, you know, any of your business plans, anything like that, depending on the concept is between 50 and 100,000. And as you sell franchises where your initial franchise fee, let's say, is thirty thousand dollars, as you sell franchises, you start to recoup that investment over time. So usually you break even at about 10 franchise sales. And you have ongoing obligations at that point too, right? You still will continue to train. And then, you know, how does how does someone like that uh, keep uh, their brand intact? Because now they have, you know, they have a lot of folks who are utilizing their system, right? They want to make sure that um, the name stays, you know, you know, as reputable as it's been. And I guess we've seen that happen. I mean, look, there have been incidents where certain franchises have had problems with uh their product, and then it affects the whole system. So what does the franchisor need to do? I mean, obviously, when we had our franchises, they would come and inspect our franchises yep. on a regular basis. 
Yeah. You know, what other obligations do they have, you know, to them? And how do you know, it probably is a pretty reasonably high cost going forward. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I had a situation when I had my restaurants where I had one franchisee you talk about product. The number one product that we used was chicken and we only bought the best chicken and it wasn't water pumped and it was grain fed and yada yada and all the best chicken you can have. And I had one franchisee who was using it and then stopped. And at head office, I started to get complaints about that location. So I go and I see the franchisee and I say, listen, you're not using approved product. Um, you know, I'm getting complaints. And the fact that you're not using approved product is affecting my franchisee in Ottawa. Because when you have one franchisee in the system that's not operating, it ruins it for everyone else. Because let's say, for example, some, you know, someone who has been to this store goes to Ottawa and they say, oh, let's go to that restaurant. And the other, oh, no, I was in Montreal. I went to one in Montreal. It was horrible. So now I have an operator in Ottawa who's doing all the right things right? Who's losing business because of this one guy. Eventually I closed him down. He refused to change the product. I kept getting complaints. I said to him, mm -hmm. I've invested a million dollars into this. If you think I'm going to let you ruin it because you don't want to use approved product and live by the contract, you're sadly mistaken. So I just put the key in the door and closed yeah. it. I, I find, you know, the customer's expectations, once they see a name, they yeah. expect the product to be a certain quality you know yes. and whether you whether you think it's good or bad or indifferent they expect it to be the same yeah and i find that you know with some of the big brands and 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 they do a pretty good job at it some of the big brands and then you'll see some that you, you wonder whether they're using the same chicken or you know i was in the ice yeah. cream business whether they're using the same product in terms of ice cream mix or they're buying uh, i know we we sold a couple of of, of, of franchises that um that use uh fresh fruit and right. uh, you know the fresh fruit varies. I never realized, but it varies in quality. Yeah, of course, it varies, varies in, in price. price. Yeah. yeah, it varies in price substantially. And 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 the one thing I think people don't realize is customers are not stupid. No, you know, customers realize, and sometimes they'll say, "Okay, it's that one location," but there could be some real damage done to the brand, which I yeah. think is is really problematic because now I've invested in a franchise here, okay, and somebody over there is not doing the right job. They're effectively hurting my investment, right? Even Absolutely. Yeah. And as a franchisor, you have an obligation to protect the brand. I mean, that's in your agreement. So I had to enforce my franchise agreement with this franchisee because I had to protect all my other franchisees. You know, I had 30 of them. I can't let this one guy ruin it for everybody else. Yeah. No. So, you know, ultimately sense. we had to close them. Makes sense. So my, my other question is, so, you know, put yourself in the position of somebody who's going to buy a franchise operation. You know, what 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 are the, some of the what are some of the really key elements that they should look at in terms of, you know, first of all, whether it's a right fit for them, but also from a financial side, you know, how do they evaluate? Because sometimes I've had people say, listen, I have a franchise I want to buy and I'm going to put it in the New York area and there's not one in the New York area. And, you know, a lot of times my comment to them, Gloria, is I don't know if I want to be a pioneer. Yeah. You yeah know, well, you know, there's a reason why there isn't one in the New York area. In, in, in the Ozarks, but it's yeah. not necessarily something somebody knows in New York or maybe good in Canada. And you'll see there's a lot of regional franchises. I mean, yeah. I have relatives in Texas and I'll, I'll see franchises there. I go, wow, there's none of those in New York. So, you know, what would somebody, if I'm a, looking to buy a franchise and let's say put it in New York or put it in Canada, what should I really look at? You know, the first thing I tell people is mystery shop. 
go and see several locations in different places and see if you have the same customer experience. See if they're merchandised the same way. See if they're all clean. See if they're all wearing uniforms. Because what that will tell you is how much control the franchisor has over the system. And if you go and you see that it's like mishmash and it's all different everywhere, that's a problem. Sure. When you look at a McDonald's, Wherever they go, their architecture fits the community in which they're in. So if you go to Stowe in Vermont, it's wooden. Whereas, you know, if you go someplace here in Montreal, it's plastic. Depends where you go. So you have to fit into the community and you have to allow changes for that. But if the products aren't the same, they don't taste the same, they're not wearing uniforms, it's not clean, it's not properly merchandised, there's empty shelves. All of those things will tell you that the franchisor is not supporting their franchisees. Yeah. And so I, that's I, the first thing you want to look for is consistency okay. amongst locations. That's brilliant. Is there anything else that you're going to add? No, I was going to say, and then you want to speak to the franchisees. And I ask them one question, you know, they want to ask them how much money do you make and this and that is like, you know, forget that. You have one question to ask. If you were to do this all again, would you? No. Are you getting support from your franchisor? That's what you want to know. Because if they're getting support from the franchisor, they're making money. And they're going to be successful because the franchisor is there supporting them. But if they never see the franchisor and there's no area person, operations person yes. who comes in to help them out and, you know, look at their merchandising, check their P&Ls, you know, that's a very loose system. I think that's brilliant. You know, and I, I, I it's funny, I revert back to McDonald's often. And sure. people, you know, whether you like the product or don't like the product, the one thing you know is you'll see McDonald's remodeling on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. You'll see them, you know, with a certain protocol from a cleanliness standpoint, almost uh, unequivocal no matter where you go. Um, you, you may or may not love the product. It doesn't really matter. Some people say, I love the fries. It doesn't really matter. But one thing you can count on is if you're on the road and you're going to get a double cheeseburger, you're going to get a double cheeseburger. Yeah. Some places may have mustard on it. Some people may have ketchup and mustard because, as you said, they tailor it to the local community to a certain right. extent, right? But yeah. I, think, I think the key is that there's such consistency that you can see that the corporation does a good job. And I think yeah. there's some... You know, there's some that are following in its footsteps. You look at like the Chick-fil-A's today. It sure. seems like from a food standpoint. And, you know, people know which ones are maybe falling by the wayside a little. So I won't I won't yeah. disparage anybody. But I yeah. think there's some of the ones that are really on top of their game, you, you can really see it. And I guess they are investing a fair amount of money, right? Sure. And, you know, one of the things um, that you um, – you know, that you also want to find out about um, when you're looking at a franchise is uh, you really want to meet, if you're going to buy a franchise, you want to meet the owners of the company. You're always going to meet a salesperson. That salesperson, as soon as you sign the contract, is gone. When If you're looking to buy a franchise, the people you want to meet, you want to meet the operations people and you want to meet the field people. And then you want to meet the owners of the company because you want to make sure and you can ask them these questions. How well capitalized are you for the future? How many locations do you see yourselves opening? Um, you know, do you plan to you know, have new training or are you expanding your, you know, your franchise support service team? Those are important. And, and people are afraid to ask those questions. And they think that the franchisor is yeah. 
you know, is the almighty. And I tell them, I say, no, it's the other way around. You're investing in their business. They have to sell you because right. you're investing in them. You know, it's like, it's the same way as you're investing in a stock. You know, you have to do your investigation. Sure. Sure. And you know, it, it's funny. I do find that there's some franchisees resent the franchisor, right? And, and, and I, you know, a lot of times I say, well, look, they're doing their job to protect the brand. And maybe you resent them because you're not the one looking to protect the brand, but they're really protecting your investment. Yeah. You have a substantial investment here. Sometimes it's a lot, you know, you've invested perhaps maybe your pension money or you've invested your savings or they're actually trying to do the right thing by you. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes you have to, you have to really appreciate that. So yeah. we're coming toward the end. I just was, I mean, do you have a, like a great success story that you like that kind of hits you in the face that you want to share? I mean, I don't know if you could think of one, um, you probably have so many. I mean, is there? Yeah, I have lots of success. Or maybe you could talk about what, maybe what is hot today, whichever works for you. Oh, well, I mean, I have one success story that I really like, and it's this little um, bakery ice cream shop um, that's out in North Carolina. And it's this young couple. And they just had this really cool, really great concept. I worked with them for a year. We franchised it. And now they're, you know, opening two new franchises. And I get such satisfaction, especially when I deal with the small brands and the startups, you know, because they're the ones that really need a lot of expertise. And, you know, I've got experience in various areas. So, um, yeah, so those are, those are, I have a sweet spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do I. So do I. So yeah. I think uh, I think that's great. And listen, so if if um, the folks out there really need any assistance on the franchise side, whether you want to franchise the business, if you're checking out a franchise, if you have to just have some questions, I've sent folks to Lori with just some. Some of them probably had some crazy questions, Lori. But uh, um, can you just give everybody an idea? How's a good way to reach you? I know it's Lori L O R I right at Lori yeah. Carpman K A R P M A N dot com right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, is that the best way to reach you? Yeah, you can read. The best way to reach me is either through my website, which is lauriecartman.com. There's a contact form or reach out to me on LinkedIn under Lori Cartman. And if you folks out there have think you have a great concept and you want to franchise it, you know, Lori can really help you from soup to nuts. She can get it out to the point where you, you'll be ready to, to kind of sell some units. I mean, to, to the point where uh, she'll tell you what happens state by state. We didn't even get into that. There's different rules and regulations on yeah, the state basis. Every state is different. I didn't think we had to get into too much of the legalese. That's something that they can call you about uh, separately. But, uh, sure. you know, I wanted to thank Lori for being my guest today um, you know, here on the um, on, on the Firm Grass show. And, and I really hope that we've brought you kind of a different perspective on business. You know, we have not talked really about franchises, although they represent a very substantial part of today's economy. And uh, I think you'll see more of them filling in the loose, uh, the empty spaces perhaps that the mom and pops have left because everyone wants to really develop a, a good concept and, and really develop it in a way where they can sell a franchise and, and they can make families successful. And I think it's a great testament to family owned businesses because they not only they're not out there really hanging by them by on their own they do have some support in the back they do pay for it i agree but you know you yeah. see a lot of very successful franchises so uh laurie i want to thank you i want to thank pleasure. you for, for viewing you know if you need to contact me it's anthony at the nybbgroup.com we're looking forward to helping you with your family owned business and providing you with more information thanks everybody and have a great day thanks anthony take care